Tell your story, build your brand. Artmedianorthwest.com. A R T M E D I A N W.com. Now, enjoy this conversation with Chad Youngman. All right. Well, first of all, thank you, Chad, for being on the podcast. Sure, no problem. And uh, Marley, we can hear you. How you doing? So Marley is Chad's dog, Rottweiler. My Rottweiler. Yeah. Let's talk about your early years. Uh, Where did you grow up? So I grew up on the Big Island of Hawaii on the Hilo side and uh, grew up a lot around uh, Hawaiian music because my mom was a part of a hula troupe there in uh, for the Hilo Hawaiians and Uncle Bunny Brown band and uh, the K Lake Trio and a bunch of other um, Hawaiian, professional Hawaiian groups uh, for the tourists and, and things like that. So I uh, grew up a lot around that. And uh, of course, my older brother introduced me to the Rolling Stones and Elton John. Uh, he, we'd be in the bedroom and he'd pretend he'd Elton John with his foot on the desk, you know, and, <laughs> and I'd be all the rest of the guys. Um, but, uh, that's pretty much, um, what got me started in music, just listening to the Hawaiian music and, and, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still play Hawaiian music? I don't. It's a shame that I don't. I listen to a lot of it. Um, so, um, but, uh, you know, being an organ, I don't have a lot of opportunity to play Hawaiian music. Uh, although I was invited to play with the poo platters. Um, at one point because they wanted some authenticity. Okay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I ended up not playing with them, but, uh, but, uh, you can listen to the ukulele ladies in Portland that play, they play eighties music on ukuleles. Oh, nice. So, uh, you know, but no, I don't get a chance to play Hawaiian music. That's too bad. Um, so I know you play ukulele. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Your main instrument is bass. My main That's, instrument is bass. I know you as a bass guy. Yep. But, um, you play drums? I do play drums. I started on drums uh, back in high school with uh, our mutual friend BC and yeah. uh, Craig Loinger. And, uh, and then I started playing in church, um, playing uh, bass in a, like a bluegrass, Christian bluegrass, if there's such a thing, Christian bluegrass band uh, with um, Joe Herring and uh, Dave Grower. And um, and it's just kind of moved over to the bass, and I started with this three-quarter electric bass that was just horrible. <laughs> and then uh, Mom got me this Fox Standard bass, a split bass, that I uh, ended up selling to my friend who still has it today. Sent oh, me wow. A, sent me a picture about a week ago, and so I was pretty excited to see it. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, growing up in church and playing, uh, and that's also where I learned guitar playing in youth group and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And then you play acoustic and electric guitar? Yep, I do. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And then uh, can we talk a little bit about what groups you've played with over the years? Sure. So um, after I got out of the service, I came back to Portland. And the first band I uh, played in was a group called Porcelain God with uh, Billy McPhee. Uh, Carl Anderson and Drew Norman, the late Drew Norman. Um, and uh, when we start, first started out, I wasn't interested in playing. And um, I was teaching Billy, the singer, uh, some bass lines, and he went to the Dublin pub to play some open mics. Um, and uh, he met Drew and Carl, and they said, man, you're not going to make it as a bass player. But So Billy's like, but I can sing, you know, and I know a really good bass player. And Billy begged me for at least three or four weeks to meet <laughs> these guys. And I just wasn't interested at the, well, at the time. But then I, um, then I said, okay, you know, I finally gave up and I went. And the first time I went to Drew's place, heard him on the guitar, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm playing with this guy because yeah. he's, he's just really good. So good, yeah. And uh, so we uh, formed a Porcelain God. And then... Um, uh, I think we were, Drew and I, our arts were getting a little better. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we felt like the singer was kind of lagging behind. Right. So we uh, fired him 
and uh, put together a group called Beldum's Lure. Um, I'm not sure where we get our names at, but, okay. but uh, Beldum is like an old hag in the lure, you know, the lure. And then uh, from there, um, I it was, and that was just a three-piece with Mark Schellenberger on drums and uh, Drew on guitar and vocals and me on bass. And uh, at the time, I was writing all the songs, all the Porcelain God songs, all the Belton Blur songs. And I got kind of burnt out playing bass, so I switched to drums. And I played for a group called Jimmy Smack and the Surgeon Generals with uh, <laughs> Kevin Darn and Gabe Adolph from Orgone Box. Um, and uh, we played uh, for, for a couple of years, but it ended up being just a drunk fest. And uh, we, we started not being so serious. So I had to kind of give up on that one. Uh, and then at the, at the meanwhile, Drew and Billy got back together and they were writing um, uh, some tunes without any lyrics um, and invited me to come out to try out for the Couch Trippers. And that was my main, probably my main rock band uh, for several years, uh, playing uh, several venues and uh, traveling and touring and such. And uh, we were, uh, let's see, I think we we had played on the road with uh, boy, Floater. And uh, we, I don't know, I'm not sure what what really happened to end the band. I think the interesting thing is every time that we had a high, the very next day or the next few weeks, we wouldn't contact each other. I don't, I'm not sure why that is, but uh, you know, every time we had some successful show in a crystal ballroom with floater or um, uh, playing at the, uh, the Roseland or whatever it's called now. Um, <laughs> but uh, the next, few weeks we would stop talking to each other for some reason huh. and then we got in oh there's my dog yeah yeah and then uh we got into uh drew kind of wanted to take a break from that music and he created uh a persona off of our first culture album, professor gall and um and then the professor professor gall group came around and uh i was doing less writing at that time um like the first couple albums uh i had about four or five entries um, but Drew was doing most of the, the most of the writing at that time, and and uh, just do, writing some very good, powerful stuff. Yeah. And I was playing upright bass in that group, and uh, uh, so we recorded uh, "See the Trippers." We recorded four albums, and then uh, Professor Gall recorded uh, uh, three albums. So. My dogs. That's a lot. And those stuff. albums you can still get on iTunes. Uh, you can still get on iTunes um, and CD Baby release and then Spotify. You go on Spotify and uh, listen to those albums. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so then, let's talk about creating your own music with Drew, uh, for example. Like, so Drew is no longer with us. Yep. You want to talk about that real quick? Yeah, sure. Drew um, came. Uh, it was a rapid ALS disease. Um, he started showing symptoms, and in six months he was gone. Wow! So it's very sad. Uh, you know, sad for the music, Portland music community, and we had a big celebration uh, covering a lot of his tunes um, at the Mississippi Pizza Place. And um, yeah, he was just—he uh, was a good friend. Um, you know, I've known him for almost twenty-five years, and. He's been uh, just a confidant and great, great composer and co-writer, and I just I miss him. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, so, I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah, what? Yeah, what a great musician he was. Um, so, anyways, I'm glad that you got to make music, a lot of music with him, and uh, yeah, me too. You know, sure. and a lot of it we can still hear. So yeah, that's absolutely that that gets to live on. You know, yeah. so that's a beautiful thing. It is. All right, absolutely. All right. So onwards. So did you uh, did you study music in school? And then you mentioned the service. Can you talk about both of those things? Yeah. So I started eighth grade playing the snare drum, and uh, and uh, <laughs> just kind of got bored with it a little bit. Um, and you know, you played with me. You and I played together for a long time, and. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of a lazy musician, <laughs> sort of. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I do what I can, and, and then I, uh, you know, I, I try to move on to something else. So I, I was on the snare drum, and then I moved to bass uh, through church and such. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I wish I had done better at studying and learning how to read music and things because I do everything by ear. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I wish, you know, in retrospect, I probably should have learned <laughs> how to read music. But um, and then when I especially when I went in the service, because I went in there to be, uh, you know, when you sign a line, they say, hey, you're going to be really good at this. You don't know what that is, but OK, I'll do that. And uh, while I was in basic, they said, hey, they needed a bass player for uh, the uh, Air Force Band. And I said, well, you know, might as well go for it. So I went in and uh, I remember warming up and playing bass lines and the guys coming in and go, man, you're, you're pretty good. And then can you uh, do a major scale? I knew enough to do major scale. And then a minor scale, sure, I knew enough to do a minor scale. And then he had me uh, sight read, and uh, I just, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. So, uh, you know, I didn't uh, join the Air Force Band, and, uh, but instead became a uh, radio operator. And, and, uh, and then, but I got to play on bass for the, 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 um, the pit bands for talent shows and things like that. So, so I played Pat Benatar and you know, uh, CCR and all that, yeah, all those bass yeah. lines so, uh, for, uh, and a lot of temptations. Um, and, uh, had a great time at that too, you know, definitely. So, yeah. So, and, uh, cool bass lines with the temptations. Too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anything from the, that era up to the seventies, I think the bass lines, um, all through those eras are fantastic. Yeah, so. definitely. Iconic, you know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right. So do you feel like, I think you kind of answered this already, but did the place and time that you grew up, the time period and mentors have an impact on the way that you learned? Uh, I definitely think so. Like uh, uh, when I first kind of played bass in church, uh, a guy named Mark Sohn kind of took me under his wing and he's a really good musician and and uh, he taught me, I think, like three or four Beatles songs. And then I was hooked, you know. Um, but um, I never did any really formal training or mm-hmm. mentorship other than playing with people like uh, Joe Justin and, and uh, Drew, you, BC, all the guys that I surround myself with. Um, and I... I feel I still learn today when I'm playing music. Sure. And uh, and uh, learning bass lines and learning different rhythms and things like that. So, you know, as far as mentorship, I, I, I had a, I, I kind of stuck with my mentor for a few weeks and then I kind of went off on my own. You yeah. Know, so. yeah. The the you flew away from the nest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they say. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what music and art stories would you like to share from your youth or your teens? So, um, the podcast is for basically, you know, we're all about, uh, supporting musicians and artists and creative people and being able to provide opportunities so that we can all make a better living and do our best work, hopefully in that's, the future. That's so, cool. Yeah. So, um, any kind of art, music, uh, experiences from your youth, uh, or teens. And then, uh, do you have any stories about that and like sort of how that led you in a direction or kept you away from? Yeah. So I think one of my, uh, one of my young stories is, uh, playing in a group called Tommy Toast and the Toe Jams. This was with Craig, Craig Loinger, myself, and Tommy Toe Toast. And uh, he was a like Olympic-level swimmer. Wow. And uh, he was teaching or instructing or coaching at the local swimming pool in Newburgh, Oregon. Okay. 
And uh, he was a musician, and he and Craig, who uh, is uh, one of my high school buddies, who works in the service now, and he's he's head of the sound um, recording group for the presidency and all these other things. And wow! <laughs> so he's still there, but uh, he played drums, and they met up because they were both swimmers, and uh, and uh, we got our first gig after like two weeks of playing. At the Green Tortoise, uh, I can't remember the location in Northwest Portland, but the Green Tortoise is this bus that goes down to LA. Is it Cheerful Tortoise? Cheerful, maybe the Cheerful, cheerful Tortoise. tortoise. Uh, there used to be one across from the Andine Building at Portland State. I don't know if it's the same one or oh, not. Oh no, it's a different one. Then. Okay, it, this is the Green Tortoise. It's a bus basically okay. that travels down to LA and back. Okay, and uh, it's my first. Well, not my first experience, but my first as a high school kid playing in a public place with a bunch of hippies and the <laughs> smell of pot and marijuana just everywhere. And uh, not that it exposed me to anything, but um, it, it, as a young kid, you know, uh, never seeing that culture, uh, it was pretty shocking to me. Right. But um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. we, and we played our music and everybody enjoyed it. And uh and, uh, you know, it was good. <laughs> so there were people like, uh, going from California or from Oregon to California. Yeah. And I think, bus? I think the bus is free. Okay. And so it's a, it, it's a part of the hippie culture between the two cities or I think it goes up to Seattle and then back down. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it was, uh, eye opening for me, <laughs> um, you know, growing up in Newburgh. Right. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, it's different than a church gig, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely yeah. different than a yeah. church gig, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, when I was at Portland State, uh, President Clinton came to, at the time to speak in the park blocks. And uh, the cheerful tortoise was there across from the building. I lived in the Andine building on Portland State, which is like a 15-story building. I was a resident manager there, so... And, uh, cockroaches up and down <laughs> nice. anyways if you didn't do your dishes and oh. you had that to look forward to yeah, basically that's great so yeah uh anyways so I, I believe that the bus went there as well because that was part of that sort of culture as well wow, and uh okay. and anyways president clinton made a made a remark that uh he was getting kind of thirsty and perhaps he and the vice president would uh Step over to the cheerful tortoise for a refreshment after. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So, um, so if you got to take a bass lesson or jam with any musician, who who would be the first one that comes to mind, alive or dead? Just somebody that you really dug their music or dig. It. Um. I have a few, probably. Yeah, good. Um, Mark Hollis, who is the singer-songwriter for Talk Talk back in the 80s. And I know that's kind of a weird reference, but uh, I I like his songwriting a lot. It's very moody. Um, So there's one. Uh, Paul McCartney, of course. I think he's, uh, other than we musicians, I think he's one of the underrated songwriters and bass players of the world. Um, Agree. Just uh, fantastic. And um, Difford and Tilbrook from Squeeze. Um, I just enjoy their writing and their writing style. I think it's very McCartney and Lennon-ish a, a little bit. Um, to me, it's like the next the next step. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, if they kept going or something. They, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, let's see who else... Uh, um, I would like to sit in on, on a base practice with uh, Mr. Getty Lee. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just a, a phenomenal base player. Yeah. Um, Sting. Um, how about one more? Uh, Victor Wooten. Um, just incredible bass player and philosopher yeah. of, of music. I um, loved his TED Talk, too. Have yeah. you seen that? Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of his videos and things, but the one video that 
made me think the most is his ghost note video mm. discussion about when not to play. Oh, wow. Which, uh, when you think of Victor Wooten and the amount of uh, notes and <laughs> progressions notes. he yeah. plays. Um, but uh, his philosophy on, uh, on rest and when not to play, it's, it's amazing. It's a good, cool. good thing. To, I haven't it's, seen that it's one. It's a good thing to check out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love his double thumbing thing, too. Yeah. That's just outrageous. Yes. So cool. All right. What are some of the best ways someone can learn an instrument? And I know that could be answered in many ways. Yeah, I think, like for me, I needed to have um, an immediate, um, what's the right word? Gratification. Immediate gratification. So I think that's kind of why I started on the bass, because uh, if you're going to play bluegrass in a church band, and you know G, C, and D, you can pretty much play. Right. So I, I, I think if I, if my parents had done what they did with my older brother and sister, which was giving them piano lessons, and then they stopped, I think I would have stopped too if I was young yeah. and forced to do piano lessons. So, uh, you know, if I had to go weekly to piano or, you know, piano practice, and I don't think I would have stayed with it. Um, Sad to say, but but at the same time, I wish I'd. Done. Yeah. <laughs> because I think piano, as a kid, a piano, uh, once you get the finger dexterity and the reading, I think that's probably the easiest instrument to transfer off of onto anything else. Yeah. But um, I forgot the question. So. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah. So, um, how can people learn various styles of music? Because we've talked about uh, different styles, you know, from kind of the pre-70s Temptation stuff all the way through Lennon-McCartney through, you know, different kinds of like 80s, you know, rock and fusion and whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, I think you have to be a listener mm-hmm. um, and um, and appreciate those different styles of music, even if you're into one, I think you need to show an appreciation to others. Um, to get into, to play other styles, um, I don't know how you would get into it other than um, opening your ear and listening. I think listening is uh, um, is underrated, Yeah, <laughs> if that makes sense. It does. So sure. Listening uh, to like Gabby playing slack key guitar, you have to appreciate the different styles and the different techniques that are being presented. Uh, when you listen to bass playing, you know, you listen to like uh, Victor Wooten or Marcus Miller or Stanley Clark, all these giants. Right. Um, and you listen to the me- me- melodic that uh, melodies that they put together and pull together on off on the bass. And um, listening to guitar players, that are, you know, in order to... In order to appreciate, you have to listen and uh, appreciate the, the different things. Even if you're not a big fan of like jazz or a big fan of uh, even pop music, you should listen and show appreciation for it, I think. Yeah, I like that. Like ukulele, like when, it, when I was a kid, you had to take an ukulele class in, in grade school. <laughs> so we listened uh, to a lot of old style Hawaiian music and... Uh, even some uh, like Glee Club type mm-hmm. of music, you know, three chord specials. Yeah. And um, so I learned ukulele pretty fast. So how has technology changed music in general in your lifetime? In my lifetime, technology uh, to me has, you know, everything has its good parts and its bad parts. Yeah. And technology for sure is one. Um, I think... I think anybody could record a song if they wanted to with the proper keyboard and the the gadgets and things like that. Um, I think that's good in that there's lots of talent out there. It may not be the jazziest cat playing a, a part, but someone who's very expressive and and uh, who has something to say can put together a song, you know. And I think that uh, I think that's good. Yeah. Um, and bad because there's lots, there's a lot of bad music out there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and people need to learn to play an instrument. And uh, I know I talked about how lazy I am, and, <laughs> but uh, I, I know the basics, right? Yeah. And uh, well, you're an amazing player. Well, like it's, thank you. yeah. <laughs> and 
and it's like like anything. You, if you're gonna own a car, you need to know how to put gas in it, and you need to know how to change a tire and all that kind of stuff. And I sound like my dad right now, but uh, you know, same with music. I think you need to have that that basis in there before you really start creating. Yeah. Um, but uh, like I said, you know, some people may not be great at an instrument, but very expressive, and mm-hmm. you can learn a lot of new stuff. Um, and uh, so, you know, technology is it's good and bad. But uh, like for recording the, the digital mix, which I'm starting to do a lot more now. Um, it's being a lot more affordable um, yeah. rather than the analog days. Um, so a lot of people can, you know, a lot of people have a two-channel two um, mixer and can mix and produce music all they, all they want. So I think that's a good thing, too. Uh, I think we're flooded. I think we're flooded with music and the, the top three businesses of the world um, control the horrible pop music that I think is out there. There's a lot of good pop music, don't sure. get me wrong. But uh, uh, the way that they control the the um, the the power, I guess, right. and the uh, what people are listening to, I it it makes me sick a little bit. But. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I do feel like. Uh, you know, musicians are, are sort of like undervalued these days, but at the same time, you know, that goes pretty much for all the arts. It's like if somebody, you know, and then we can look back and see, you know, painters that weren't famous in their lifetime, but are hugely famous, you know, one of the top 10 that we name now. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what, that's what I like about what you're putting together. Uh, because if you're putting together these artists in, in different parts of art, that need some help, mm-hmm. um, like someone who's really good at recording and putting together an album, but doesn't know how to get the artwork out or get any photographs or things. So I think it's kind of cool how you have this community of people that can help um, fight against the machine, I guess. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you also, speaking of uh, art, uh, you do graphic design yeah. and uh, web design, and you do cover art for albums and different things like that. Yep. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, so I have my own little uh, recording studio with Pig Farm Consortium and uh, Cool Beard Media. So uh, we put out, a, in fact, we just released the Jack Maybe Project's third album. And um, uh, I did all the recording and editing and mixing and mastering uh, through Craig Loinger. Uh and uh, then he has, they have an artist, and I did all the CD layout. So um, I've also done one for April 5th, which is a group uh, with John Huckfeld, uh, who's a big Portland bass player with uh, uh, Elvis Presley, or not Elvis Presley, sorry, <laughs> Jesus Presley Band, okay. and uh, Gravel Pit. and those. those it's easy bands. to get those mixed yeah, up, I understand. Say, Jesus and Elvis, they're kind of the same. So. <laughs> But uh, and I helped them do their album art work and uh, get it uh, re- replicated and things like that. Very so, cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, have you done graphic design professionally for other projects, or is this mainly as uh, no, music I, music I, art need? Yeah, I've done logo designs for other people and web designs, uh, websites, and things like that. Um, and my my approach is simplicity. So you know, you're not going to get a over detailed. Uh, kind of representation and uh i think a lot of people like that yeah so i think it's great yeah i think it works out good so uh how do you enjoy creating or learning music today um i enjoy it um how do i enjoy it yeah maybe (laughs) that's we could rephrase that no no that's a good question because um a lot of people think that writing music is work and uh, I think music is a, you know, is every part of life, right? Uh, whether you're into music or not, you're, and I don't know if music represents life or life represents music, but to me, they're kind of the same. Um, because as you go through life, you had hardships and, and you have great times. And, and I think music rep- can represent that mood or uh, represent that, uh, that time in your life. And I think for me, it's hard to figure out which 
which crosses over to which um, because you know um, you know those hard times could be an offbeat piece or uh, maybe not uh, completely uh, in tune piece but there's still music there and uh, and then when you have harmony and your life is going good you know you've got a, a good rhythm and you've got great harmony and everything's peaceful I think like I said I think it mimics life and music uh, mimics life and life mimics music to me it's it there's no separation to it you know so when you when I go to write stuff I don't write um, I write stuff about about stuff that I know uh-huh. and I don't try to force a song and and so I, some influences from my life may be involved in that but I don't uh, I don't literally write um, like a specific song for a specific reason uh, you know my wife would argue how come you don't write a song about me it's like that's not how I work um, I like a lot of my songs are are total like I, I got a couple political songs and the, the professor call group and and some life experience songs and the cow trippers and just like I said it just it, it just kind of goes along and it kind of flows so I don't call it work I just call it life I guess. okay well, I feel like when you try to force it, it uh, comes out unnatural, unnatural, and sounding maybe contrived in yeah. a way. Yeah. Um, going back to learning ukulele in elementary school, do you think, just hypothetically, if you know, let's say Jeff Bezos got the great idea of Hey, I'm just gonna send ukuleles to like every child under 10 years old in the world. Do you think uh, that, in in addition to like some sort of structured learning where they can learn a few songs, would kind of end wars? And you oh. know? I don't know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I, you know I, I'm gonna be the uh, devil's advocate. Yeah. Here. <laughs> well, no, I'm gonna be the half glass half full kind okay of yeah i think that uh i think that that could make an impact because i think when people are into music they have a different mindset so i think they're more open to ideas and uh, whether they're political or social or whatever I, I think they're more open to um i don't know to the chaos out of his life. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how to say it. Oh, that's actually but pretty. It, it's uh, well put. I, yeah, I think that you know, if 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 all kids were to be in some kind of music program, I think it, I think it'd be I think it'd be good. You know, I think like I said, I think you have a different mindset when you get into music. Yeah, I haven't met. Um, I mean, you know, no matter where you're at, you're going to meet an asshole once in a while. Sure. But uh, I meet less of them when I'm jamming with other musicians. So. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that works. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, all right. Is creativity or skill more important as a musician or an artist? Well, as, uh, as I've said before, I'm, I've been kind of lazy. So I have to depend on my creativity um, to... Uh, I mean, uh, well, I, I've told you before, and in, in when we play covers, I, I can't play other people's bass lines, right? I, I like to play my bass line. Yeah. <laughs> so I. Well, I, you can. I, I've heard you do it. Well, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I follow what I what I what I think is important, but um, but I think creativity to me pushes the boundary, and uh, when you're structured and uh, and you and you're fit within these walls of constructive um music writing right you, you know i like to challenge it as much as possible so when i wrote music in the cow trippers and we put a lot of things that probably shouldn't go together but um like i love the devil's chord you know um i the tritone the tritones the, yeah. yeah i just love it I, I probably put it in way too much of the music but well, the thing is, it's a, it's part of the dominant chord, anyways, yeah. or in the diminished. So, yeah. it wants to resolve the. <laughs> so I think you know creativity, like I said, pushes the boundaries, and you're not you're not to uh, succumb to the laws. Yeah. In that in that boundary. Yeah. Well, I think the you know theory is there as a guideline. It's not necessarily the end all be all, and music is patterns and rhythms and. 
you know, melodies and it's not, you know, people like Hendrix and the Beatles yeah. didn't, didn't learn formally. Right. Um, but they did great work with what they did learn, yeah, what absolutely. they picked up over the years, whether that be, you know, the four of them getting on a bus and going to the next town and saying, right. knocking on a guy's door and right. saying, can you show us B7? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. I mean, and I mean, the Beatles to me is a perfect example of of when you listen to their early stuff. I mean, they were it was all new, right? Right. So, but their progression of uh, their music writing um, to me that they you know always rose up to the challenge of putting out something new and different, and and uh, that's how my writing. I like to think like to think that's how my writing and my my creativity works. Yeah. Well, I think it's beautiful to just be able to sort of embrace like something different and try it, even if it falls flat on its face. Like yeah. if you don't try it, then you're not being creative. You're not pushing any kind of boundaries and sure. everything's stagnant and yeah. just is what it is. So, There's my dog. Yeah, there's your dog. <laughs> <laughs> what are some difficult times you've faced as a, as a musician? Uh, I think the most difficult times, uh, probably getting to a spot where you hit, hit a wall and, um, the idea that you can make it as a living as a musician and realizing if you want to eat more than top ramen and spam, you might need to have a job. So, <laughs> uh, I think those are my lowest points. Those are the yeah. painful. And then once I got used to the idea that I need a day job to support my night job, um, I, I was I. It took me a while, but then I eventually got was okay with it, and um, because I was still doing what I loved to do, which was play music, um, and still able to uh, be a single dad at the time and take care for my kid, and um, so once I. Once I got into the groove and accepted it, it was okay. Because I still went on tour with the Cow Trippers and Professor Gall. And, um, and uh, but, you know, the realization that you're not making it as a, as a paid musician, it, it could be frustrating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Uh, so your, your son, Trin, uh, is also a musician. Yep. Quite quite well-known and, and very good yeah. in, in these parts. Yep. Yeah, you want to talk about him sure. a little bit? Sure. Um, so when he was young, I bought him the crappiest guitar you could possibly find. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, he showed a little interest in it. But then eventually uh, he decided to take a guitar class in high school. And, um, and I didn't push him. I think if I pushed him, he probably wouldn't have gone that far as we talked about before. Yeah. But... Um, you know, he, he started liking it, got better, um, started taking uh, more classes and went to Portland State as a music musician. I uh, can't remember what this, his uh, performance, I think, mm -hmm. um, and became a classical guitarist. And then uh, he started uh, his own band, the Jack Maybe Project, which, uh, which uh, we talked about a little early. We just came out with an album. We're playing March 3rd at uh, the Doug Fur. Um, for his album release. Um, so this is his third album. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's doing really good. I mean, he, he was just on KBU, uh, promoting the show and things like that. And he's living the life. Um, and, uh, hopefully he can, he can take it where he wants to be comfortable, whether it's a day job and working at night <laughs> or, uh, you know, hopefully selling some CDs and, and, and living large on an indie album or yeah. indie uh, label somewhere. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's a great musician and I definitely wish him awesome luck. Yeah. Um, so since you're a recording engineer, producer and graphic designer as well, how valuable is it having skills and knowledge in several areas at the same time? Um, like sort of diversifying your, I think it helps quite a bit because uh, when people come with a project, um, uh, with, with some skills in in some of these different areas, 
I can picture what the what the outcome is going to be, and uh, both from a graphic design and the, the music, uh, I can kind of picture what the end result will be mm-hmm. and present it back to whoever I'm recording, and uh, hopefully I got it right. If not, then I can alter it. Sure. Um, but uh, I think it helps to have uh, some uh, skills in different areas to help um, encourage. Uh, the artist, especially if the artist is recording, not feeling something, um, you know, being open and honest and, and knowing how to write and um, knowing how to go through a structured um, uh, melody or something and help working it out um, helps quite a bit when during the recording process. Yeah. And the editing and the mixing and things like that. Because everybody's got limitations on their skills, you know, somewhere, yeah. whether right. it's, you know, like, they can't quite hit that note right. that's way up there or their melody is a little like sounds a little unsure in this part or right. whatever. Exactly. So being able to hear that right away and uh, know how to navigate those waters. And well, yeah. And navigate and how to bring it up without, yeah. without uh, hurting anybody's <laughs> without feelings. Crushing, <laughs> crushing <laughs> you know. people's souls. But uh, I think, I, I think a lot of that helps uh, in having that different kind of experience to mm-hmm. help the project along. So how important is music to film and video storytelling? Um, I think it's huge. I mean, it, I mean, think, think about it, your favorite movie. Um, you know, you might not remember all the parts, but you remember all the songs in it, right? Right. Um, and uh, even if it's not a structured song, if it's just background music, you know, it helps set the mood, it sets the environment. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's a, it's a huge part of the writing process. If you're going to do a movie, you've got to think about, you know, the, the back end music. And I, I love the satirical stuff or the, um, non-compliant, uh, stuff where it's happy music, but it's a horror picture. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, I, I like that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know. Sometimes it can be really powerful. Yeah. It's just like this peaceful, calming melody and this just like disaster is yeah, striking. The absolutely. world's exploding or whatever. Well, I think like Quentin Tarantino does a good job of putting those old 70s music in there. And, oh and it's part of the story. It really know? is. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. All right. What are some of the best concerts you've performed in? That I've performed in? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite shows... We're playing in uh, Mr. T's. Um, so it wasn't a big show, but Mr. T's down in L.A., which, uh, if have you played there? No. So uh, basically, it's a bowling alley, right? And while you're playing in the middle four lanes, there's people bowling on each side of you. <laughs> so, and Mr. T, the guy who owns it, um, was there while we were playing, and he's been there for... The like, actor? Uh, no. D.A. Barakas? No, no. no? Uh, just uh, just the random dude that owns okay. Mr. T's, the okay. bowling alley. And, uh, and while you're playing there, you see all these, you know, Pearl Jam's played there. Nirvana's played there. You see all these uh, posters. And Mr. T, the owner, stays and watches every show. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, so that's one. Uh, that's memorable. Yeah, the the other one is the Stork Room and outside of uh, Oakland. Um, it's a I don't know if it's still there, but we played there, um, and it's Christmas and Halloween twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year. Wait, is there three hundred sixty five days in here? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, and it's just a weird place, and uh, well, we jam packed that place. So I like thinking all the weird places we yeah. Can uh, one of my favorite stories is playing at Taylor's in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, we were playing during a basketball game or something like that. <laughs> so there wasn't there weren't a lot of people at the show. In fact, I think we only had like maybe two people in the whole place. But we, you know, the show must go on and we played. Right. And then I noticed that the guy that was dancing uh, to our music would go outside and beg for money and then come back in to buy a beer. And he'd dance and he'd go outside and beg for money. Then you buy a beer and then you start dancing again. So, you know, those are the kind of memorable shows that I think of. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. So. so how well does the system work for people and for musicians, creative artists, 
you kind of spoke about this already, but if you want to expand on that. Yeah, the system itself um, uh, is so, uh, I don't know. (laughs) The system, I think, fails musicians. Um, And I think think if you're an artist and you've got... um, you've got some good backing and, and things like that. You can do well. I mean, there's the Taylor Swifts and the Justin Timberlakes of the world out there, but, um, but, uh, the system fails the indie independent musician and musicians that are contributing to other people, other artists. Yeah. And, um, so, I, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's frustrating. And then when I'm trying to do an indie, label or indie independent recording you know what the we're back to technology technology is great online internet um getting your stuff out that way but you still have to market yourself yeah you're still obscure if nobody knows about you (laughs) right right and and so there's still a lot of work to be had there but um so it's a good it's a good way to get your stuff out quickly with technology and the process but the but the powerhouse powerhouses that be they they just don't i don't know i guess i guess it's hard for every generation and sure and the the more populous we have and the more music we have out there which i think is great to have a lot of it but um uh, i just think the big the big wigs are missing their mark yeah you know In a perfect world, how would you like to earn a living? Where would you like to live? What type of hours would you put in? Would you travel? And if so, where? You know, I think I'm enjoying being behind the board the most these days. So I think if uh, if I had the, the perfect job that I want would be to record. Um, not even mixing that much. Uh, although I'd like to f- finish the whole process, but I love tracking. I love putting uh, putting tracks down for other ba- other people and other bands, and and uh, I think I would do that. And I probably live here in Oregon. I still love Oregon. Um, everything in Oregon represents, and you know, Portland's still the only place you can be a clown and make money. So <laughs> I think you could do that as a musician decently. Um, so I'd probably do it here in Portland, although uh, the cold kind of gets to me. And, the rain gets me depressed a little bit. But, sure. But, um, yeah, that's what I would probably be, have a, some kind of recording, you know. So what part of the uh, tracking do you like? Is it the whole, like, you know, setting up the mics, getting the sounds yep. dialed? Working to get the right sound of the drums and the bass and uh, utilizing the space as much as possible. Um, I, I need to learn a little more about acoustics of the room. Um, and every album that I do, I'm on my ninth album. 10th album I get a little bit better yeah and so the learning process for me has always been um you know trying new things and um and I th- it kind of goes back to our theory about music it's like uh I'm not a I'm not a structured learner so I don't have any boundaries and I, I'll try sticking a mic way on the other side of the room if I think it'll it'll be good you know? right but, well I think uh, I think that's incredible, though, because like if you think of the difference between a Stradivarius violin versus like the drum tracks on when the levee breaks or something right. like that. I mean, that's just they're two different ballparks, yep. but like they're both brilliant in their own way. Absolutely. You know? so, yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. Uh, is there any place that you would like to live for one to six months other than where you are now? Uh, I think I think England would be good. England? Yeah. I still think there's a, a good, I think there's some good indie music coming out of England right now um, that I'd be, that I would love to have a small, you know, take a little Zoom and record these small groups. Um, I have a dream of uh, converting an old trailer into a recording studio. It's awesome. And just going across the United States, you know, and, yeah. and finding small local bands in the smallest towns and recording them and uh, you know, if I could afford to do that, I would do that. You know, I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, there's an artist, John Fulbright, that uh, taught at the songwriting camp I went to in Sisters one year. And he's a young guy. Yeah. Um, 
but there's some videos of him. It's like, uh, you know, live in the trailer or whatever. And there's video of like he and the band recording and like, it's just the back of, you know, a Winnebago type thing, not even a big one. It's just, yeah, that um, would be but cool. yeah. Um, I mean, I would love to do that. I, I mean, I would go to small, small towns yeah. and find, you know, some, you know, singer, songwriter, and just have them record and cool and be independent label. Yeah. You know, something like that. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. What current or future plans do you have for music, arts, creative works, or business for that matter? Well, I'd like to I'd like to keep recording people who who don't have a recording opportunity. Uh, I know that's difficult because everybody's got portable recorders these days but uh i have uh enough equipment to help get someone to a full album you know recording drums and recording everything um and i've been doing it for very cheap um sometimes for free to help uh that that group um get their albums out and those types of things so i'm looking for you know right now i'm looking for some musicians that are um at that at that point, you know? yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's uh, that's kind of what I'd like to keep doing right now. So, can help. you talk about where people can reach out if uh, they're interested in that in the area here? Yeah. So, if you reach out to me, uh, best way is probably email. Okay. Uh, Chad.youngman at gmail.com. And there's my dog in the background. Yeah. Uh, chad.youngman at gmail.com uh, just send me what your project is and uh, what you're looking to do if, if you're a solo artist and you, um, and you don't have a band and you need a band uh, that's the whole idea of the consortium is that uh, people that help record help other people record their stuff so uh, at least that's what I've been trying to start <laughs> um, and uh, people can hopefully take advantage of that yeah you know, so so that's the Pig Farm Consortium. Yep. And then there's also Cool Beard. Cool Beard Media. Uh, I'm not sure why I kept the Cool Beard name, but uh, somebody in Vegas called me Cool Beard, and everybody laughed and thought it was funny. So, but uh, Cool Beard Media is the the graphic part of it, and Pig Farm Consortium is the recording piece of it. Very cool. So. Awesome. So, what bands and companies have you worked with over the years? We've already talked about bands to some extent, but if anything else comes to mind, feel free to. Because I'm sure you probably, you know, just filled in for a number of other bands if you want to mention that. And then I, I think you did a. Is it correct that you did a workshop with one of James Brown's drummers at one point in time? Yeah, Eric Brown. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was a that was an interesting experience um, because. Uh, we didn't really practice for the, for the, uh, for the lesson or whatever it was, but the showcase. But uh, I would just follow his beats and and uh, I mean he was such an easy drummer to play with and just amazing drummer. Sounds so good. And, yeah. And uh, we had, uh, but we had Scott Pelle, uh, I can't remember his last name, Pellegram, who's an outstanding drummer. Um, he was there, and. Uh, Eric was actually amazed by by Scott's playing, <laughs> so it was pretty. Uh, and then so Scott had a uh, we we invited a bunch of bass players to do a, a clinic through uh, Scott as well. So, but um, I've got to play um, well with the Rock Voices with you and yeah, DC Portland Rock Portland Voices. Rock Voices, which was a lot of fun. Uh, a band called Pinochle played drums in that. Bev and the Boys. Um, and uh, yeah, just well, I can't remember half the people I played with. And then what about other uh, occupations and jobs that have? So as you as I told you, I had a day job. Yes. Uh, so I worked with GE Healthcare for many years, uh, Columbia Sportswear, as a database uh, manager. And so a lot of ITIS stuff. As, okay. And you meet a lot of musicians in that field, by the way. Um, <laughs> the ones that wanted to make money. Wanted to make money, yeah. right? Exactly. <laughs> a lot of keyboard players in the in the uh, engineering staff. Yeah. So that's pretty funny. It's funny how that works. Yeah. What would be your advice to sixteen-year-old Chad Youngman if you could 
give that young, younger version of yourself yeah, some advice? Good, that's a really good question. I think the biggest advice I would have is, is stick with your dreams. And the reason why I say that is because I wanted to be a sound engineer early on. And uh, I have forces against me saying that, uh, no, that, you know, there's no future in it. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm doing what I want to do then now, but I've had to, I've had the long road to get there and I wish I had stuck with it back then. And, uh, and then just enjoy life. You know, life is such a hang up. And like I said, life mimics music, music mimics life. And, and I just wish I could have gone with the flow a little bit more. <laughs> well, I think one thing that's cool about that is that you're doing it, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's never true. too late to start. That's very true. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I've been playing music in Portland area and West Coast for almost 25 years now. And, um, it, you know, I mean, I, I have no regrets for sure. And playing and playing with Drew and playing with you and BC and um, lots of other guys. So no regrets whatsoever. So how do musicians, creative artists keep from being obscure or obsolete? That is a great question. And I think people need to, like we said before, you, you need to be able to challenge yourself into creating something, not for the sake of creating something different, but for the sake of uh, exploring yourself and seeing where you can go with your own music. Um, if you play the same old music over and over again, uh, you're not challenging yourself and you're not making it interesting, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and to, to change your music just for the sake of changing your music, it needs to be genuine still, you know? Yeah. So you need to challenge yourself, but it needs to be a genuine, a genuine way. Um, and then how do you make yourself non-obsolete? That's a good question because I mean, uh, People like different things at different times, and, and music is a big circle like everything else, and it'll come around to something simple or go through a country phase or going through this now, uh, this, uh, this uh, banjo phase and folk music and, you know, when is rock coming back around the circle, you know. I think it's, uh, I think it's interesting. <laughs> it is, yeah. And, you know, I think there's... There's great music in every style. It's not just, you know, yeah, it doesn't have to just be, you know, folk music or rock or country or right. metal. Metal. <laughs> Should musicians and creative artists just go for it or get a stable job and do their art on the side? Well, uh, like I said, <laughs> that was a, a hard thing to learn. Yeah. In order to support my craft, I had to support myself, mm -hmm. my family. Um, but, uh, I think you need to have a good balance. Yeah. Um, and you need to be able to live within, um, and be satisfied with what, how you're living, um, to keep your craft going, um, while still contributing to your life. And, you know, I mean, if you want to go for it, and go for it. And if go that's for it the with, only thing you're feeling, then yeah. that's going to work. And go yeah. for it. But you got to be happy with eating eggs and top ramen. I love eggs. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> I did for a long time. Yeah. But uh, um, but uh, yeah, I I think if you're going to go for it, go for it. But um, in, in it's it's tough to, to 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 describe that because you know when I was young, what we talked about before, you know, I wanted to be a, a a uh, sound engineer. Yeah. But I, I didn't have the support behind it. Um, so, but I should have gone for it. Right. So I didn't know. I don't know how to answer that one. I think you did. All right. Yeah. Should musicians and creatives learn business? Why or why not? Yeah. I think that they definitely should learn business. I think it's important to, to, to uh, have a good basis, especially when you're trying to promote yourself uh, and especially with the, the changes in how the business uh, how business works, um, you got you got to know a little bit about it all. I mean, unless you're hiring someone in, which uh, most musicians probably can't afford, 
to take on the, a lot of that responsibility. Um, I think like uh, Trin has done, you know, my son Trin has done a good job of understanding what the business part being ahead of the band and writing the music and I think he's done a good job of learning a little bit more about the business so that he can pay his musicians and get into the right internet or intranets uh, distribution um, getting the right shows um, working with the right bands and labels and things like that so um, you know if you you can be a creative musician all you want but unless you know part of the business to get out there and get yourself promoted it's it's a tough it's a tough uh it's a tough life. Yeah. What skills do you think are important for everyone to learn? From this could be taken as musicians, creative people or just everybody. Uh I think I think some of the most important ones and no matter what, is you need to have some social skills and social level skills. Uh, especially if you're trying to promote yourself or you're trying to uh, get a good job or anything like that. I think you need to have good uh, social functioning um, to uh, be contributing to whether it's to your own craft or to a business or whatever. Um, And I think you need to be a little bit, uh, you need to take a little bit of risk. Can you expand on that a little bit of risk? Uh, you know, I mean, if if you're not willing to take the risk and like when you have a new song, you know, and you, you're not willing to get it out there, then what's the use of doing it, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not if you're not willing to expose yourself a little bit and let yourself uh, go and take that risk and no one listens, no one's going to listen to you. So why put all the energy into writing music and playing if you're not willing to get it out there, I guess? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, do you enjoy traveling? Is that part of something that you... Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed traveling uh, both, you know, when when the Cowtrippers were on tour, um, going to San Antonio and seeing the Steve Ravon statue in the park when we were lost. It was like a beacon in the sky for us, you know, <laughs> or playing in Helena and uh, Jeff Emmett there, you know, um, I, I enjoyed that too, but, uh, I especially enjoyed, uh, going on vacations. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so is that typically road trips or do you fly different places? Oh, uh, we, it was all road trips. Road so trips, yeah, yeah. In the stinky van <laughs> and uh stinky bus. But, um, but, uh, it, it's, I mean, when you, the phone, the, the road, uh, camaraderie, you know, and, and going in and checking out new places and meeting new people and meeting different bands with different uh, sounds and uh, especially when you run into a band that you really like, you know, and then you start a friendship and then you tour with them other places. And that, to me, that's all, it's all great. Very cool. Uh, any favorite foods that you like to eat or cook and local restaurants that you recommend? Uh, local restaurants, um, well, I'm a big steak eater. Yeah. So anything that, any place that serves steak, I recommend. Um. How about steak at different budget levels? <laughs> uh, uh, steak is steak to me, man. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll eat a steak no matter what. <laughs> but, uh, you know, bringing back the Hawaiian 808 up, uh, up there by 26 and 217. Uh, that's one of my favorite places. Um, yeah, I'm just not that interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. No, No, that's stuff I didn't, you know, I didn't know that. All right. So here's a big one. How do we solve the world's problems? How do we solve the world's problems? One is, I think we need to forget about the past. Um, I'm not saying that we should ignore the past. What I'm saying is we need to get rid of old, um, old mindsets. The way we solve the world's problems is to change their mindset. So they need to um, get rid of the idea that race is a, is an issue um, and live, I mean, if everybody played music, like we said earlier, you know, maybe this would be better. But uh, people just need to listen to each other and uh, respect each other's, their cultures. 
um, their way of life, their living. Um, and we got to stop categorizing everything. You know, we, we want everybody to be equal, but we keep putting people in boxes. And we need to, to me, we need to stop that. Because the more you put people in boxes, the more you separate um, people from each other. And, you know, we're supposed to be a one day human race, but uh, we keep defining what that is. And, and uh, when we start doing that, it just becomes convoluted. Yeah. You know, and uh, just people need to be nicer to each other. I don't understand why, you know, nicer to animals for sure, nicer to each other. Um, why people need guns, I don't know. I don't need a gun. Um, why, why people rob each other? I don't. I don't get that mentality, and uh, I wish we could, like I said, change people's mindsets against that. You know. Yeah. People for there for the quick buck or whatever. It's like, yeah, it just drives me up bonkers to think about. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, can music and the arts help alleviate violent crimes or solve? the sources of violent crimes. I, th- I think you can do a lot of good in that people are just busy. You know, people are mm-hmm. learning the instrument or people are playing. and and uh, But I also think that if you take it in the wrong direction, um, white supremacist bands, you know, rap artists. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, to me, they're utilizing a beautiful thing called music to... To, to segregate and yeah, to, to segregate to, to, and uh, promote hate. And, yeah, you know, and uh, I'm all for freedom of speech, but not for freedom to be mean, right, <laughs> or stupid. Yeah, that that says a lot. Are there any questions that I should have asked that I didn't? No, you asked a lot of questions, and uh, I'm not sure if I gave you good answers, but uh, <laughs> but. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think you asked all the right questions, and and I look forward to working with you to get more uh, artists on uh, on these podcasts and uh, together to work with each other to support and provide services that maybe they don't have or are unsure of, and and also help uh, you with providing my studio to a lot of people to record and those types of things. So yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, thank you very much for your time yeah. and uh, for your, you know, your wisdom. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's it's true. It's there. There's wisdom. You know, wow. you get first. you have to you have to first you have to get to be at least 40 yeah. and then it starts to sink in a little bit. Well, I'm above 40. By, Are you? By 10 years. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you when you think on the spot. I have a hard time articulating what I want to say. But, oh, same here. But uh, but I enjoyed it. It was very good. Well, thanks, Chad. And uh, tell folks where they can find you uh, on the internet if they... Yep, www.coolbeardmedia.com. Uh, you go out there, you can find my website and the latest release from Jack Maybe Projects on there. Um, and then Facebook, um, Pig Farm Consortium on Facebook as well. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Find out more at artmedianorthwest.com. A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W dot com. (laughs) 